that video. That was uh, kind of amazing production quality, I thought. And uh, just, by the way, a little nugget in here. As that, as that whole thing will play out this month, uh, we are playing out a parable of Jesus. So you look to the Bible, look at Jesus' parable of the sower in Matthew 13, and you're going to see all four soil types take place there in our contestants. So that's just a little nugget we'll unpack as we go on as that metaphor unrolls. So um, happy new year, everyone. Uh, January. Isn't it great? Time for new starts for everyone. And here in January is a time where you and I can begin to address entropy, right? Alas, all things that God has created are subject to decay. I got an idea for a new t-shirt, and the t-shirt would say, entropy happens, you know, instead of the other thing. Uh, Entropy happens, and it's the law, right? It's the second law of thermodynamics, as it turns out. Everything is moving from states of greater order to greater disorder. And so, by the way, this happens to everything. And as in physics, so often, it is also the case in emotion and in spirit. So, entropy happens with heat in closed systems. It happens with a car that's rusting in a field. Entropy happens with your good spending habits, right? And if you take an FPU, you had good gazelle-like intensity to wipe out your debt, and then suddenly it's like sloth-like intensity or something like that. It happens, uh, entropy happens with satellites in decaying orbits that eventually they burn up in the atmosphere. It happens with six-pack abs after too many Christmas cookies. Entropy. And it also happens with vision in any organization. In fact, the saying is true when, when, when you've heard this before, vision leaks. You got this bucket with all these holes in it. Vision, one time it's full and it's brimming and flowing over and then now it's empty. So it seems perfect timing at the new year when we're all focused on, on personal, uh, halting personal entropy, right? Either in your spending, you've probably got some money goals or maybe you've got some physical fitness goals. When we're all thinking about that, let's also think about halting spiritual entropy as individuals and as a church. Now let's open up the scripture. When you look at the Apostle Paul, he seems to take for granted that followers of Jesus are at risk of spiritual entropy, that that's a thing. Because he commands us here in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, he says, never be lacking in zeal. Just let that soak in for a second, what the enormity of what's being asked for there. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Okay, so let's look at a couple of different words that Paul uses here. Zeal is translated from the Greek word spude. We actually get our word speed out of this Greek word, and it does, in fact, have a literal meaning in the Greek of speed or haste or something uh, like that. Then the word lacking is variously translated in other contexts as tardy or lazy or slow. Okay, so here are two words that are suggesting giddy up and go needs to be part of your uh, spiritual life. That basically saying never be lazy about speed. Never be lacking, never be tardy, never be dragging when it comes to your spiritual momentum, okay? By implication, the idea is passion is is to be wired in to your Christian experience. Passion is to be wired into your Christian experience. And this is so important, he repeats himself two times. So the next phrase is, in spirit, fervent, serving the Lord. Okay, and the word fervent uh, zeo means literally to be hot. It's actually the word the Greeks would often use to describe glowing metal when it was heated up to liquid state. 
okay? So in our context, we tend to get, you know, uh, pretty cynical about Christian cliches and stuff like that. But you think about that, that Christian who will spout off and say, I'm just so on fire for the Lord right now. And that person is saying it. This is really what Paul is after, is for you to be on fire. That that should be the normal state of the follower of Jesus. Because Paul knows spiritual entropy happens. He wouldn't command this if it wasn't a reality of your spiritual life. That entropy happens to you as a follower of Jesus. Look, your life dilutes passion. Vision leaks. Intensity flags. Your earnestness in following dwindles. It happens. It's going to happen to you. It's going to happen to me. Thus the command. Maintain your zeal. Be on fire. There's a spiritual intensity, friends, that's being called for here by the apostle. Now, I know how some of you are reacting to that if you're being very thoughtful about it and honest. You're maybe reacting negatively. You're saying, wait, how can that be? I mean, how can I possibly live in that world? That's got to be wrong. I mean, he's asking us to, to sustain an emotional state, isn't he? Well, what if I don't feel it? What, 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 how, I mean, God could command actions, of course. I understand that. I suppose I can control my actions. But how I feel? I mean, God, come on. I can't control how I feel. Or can you? See, Paul seems to think, Paul seems to think that you have the power to manage your own zeal. Like, like a thermostat on the wall, you can manage the heat in the room. He seems to think you have control of the thermostat of the zeal in your life. You have the capability to maintain your zeal. You can nurse it. You can feed it. You can stoke the fire. And that's on you. That's a fascinating command. That it's on you and you can do it. Or not. Or not. And if you don't, then what? Then what? Then, then entropy will settle into your spiritual life and then you know exactly what's going to happen. You will lose zeal. You will grow spiritually cold and you will forget who you are and what you're here to do. Dropped off in the woods and what's my purpose? What am I here to do? It's amazing how forgetful we are. In fact, uh, one of your elders says to me, listen, he says, Rick, this is the sum total of my devotional life. I hit, the knee, I hit the ground on my knees every morning when I roll out of bed and I remind myself why I'm a Christian. And I preach a sermon recatechizing myself, rechristening myself a Christian every morning. That's how short our, our, our attention span is when it comes to our spiritual life. I, he falls to, to his knees in the morning and says, I am a forgiven lover of the Lord Jesus Christ who has sought me and bought me and filled me with his Holy Spirit, gifted me for purpose and character transformation and mission in the world. Boom. That's how forgetful we are. That's how quickly vision leaks and evaporates. So friend, listen to me. As surely as a car parked in a field will one day become the field, even though the car is in a marvel of, of planning and ingenuity, it will one day just become the field. As surely as that is the case, a Christian who does not maintain their zeal will become like the world around them. That's just going to happen. Now, why do you think, just speaking now of, to the family here at AC3, why do you think it is that we talk so much about vision cast and we say, listen, you've got to get out to this thing? Why do we pump up the leadership summit? We say, here's two days of spiritual rocket fuel, we say. That's, that's how we, 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 we promote it. 
Why do you think we do that? Why do we talk about the forums, the men's forum, the women's forum? Why do we send our leaders on retreats? Why do we recommend books from the pulpit? Why do we have Bible reading plans and all that? Why are we doing this? Because we're trying to provide you the tools so that you can do what Paul says it is your responsibility to do, which is to maintain your zeal. And, and that's all that we can do. And that's all we really should do according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. God has given these leadership gifts to equip the saints for works of service. And friend, that's on, that's on you. I just find it interesting that Paul says, I notice your zeal is lacking. I'm so sorry. What have we forgotten to do for you? No, he says, your zeal is lacking. Be sure to maintain your zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That is somehow on you to keep it topped off. Um, some of you change your own oil but maybe not very many of you anymore. I don't. Uh, that stopped when I was probably 21 years old or whatever. And, and uh, if you get somebody else, so you get a shop to change the oil for you, of course you get the deal these days, right? Which is what? You can get that oil topped off anytime between oil changes for free. Thumbs up, what a great deal. And now some of you are looking at me blank looks. You've never taken advantage of that, have you? You're driving late model cars, I can tell. All right, so... Um, you don't need to get your oil topped off between all changes, but uh, let me invite you into my world uh, where some of you have driven these high mileage oil burning clunkers that I or my sons have owned. You use that service. You top off the oil. Or, or you're on the road with a major clackety clack under the hood and an empty crankcase and a dead car at the side of the road. And you can interview my son about how that goes. So um, that's, that's, that's the way that happens if you don't Top it off. Top off the oil. Listen, I think the scripture would agree. You and I, and we are all clunkers. We are vision-leaking clunkers. And we are losing vision daily. We're losing it daily. So you have to top it off. You have to top off your zeal regularly. We're going to talk about this, by the way, when we talk about the habits of the spiritual life, this whole series, but one of the ways we do that is simply by you being here. Here you are this morning. Guess what? One of the things that's happening right now is you're getting your zeal topped off. That's what's happening. And you're not isolating. You're not, you're not quarantining your spiritual life. It's just me and Jesus in a personal relationship with God, and I reject all the institutionalism and all the organization, all that kind of stuff. Well, I say, listen, if you're not interested in organized religion, you need to come to AC3 because we're the most disorganized church there is. So, uh, but, but, but listen, you can't help but there being a corporate aspect to your Christian life if you want to maintain your zeal. There's something about the gathering that will be a zeal top-off for you. And it's not, it's not fascinating to me, or I guess it's not puzzling to me that now regular attendance in America with with devoted Christians is 1.3 times a month and that that corresponds to an increasing amount of irreligiosity across the landscape in the country. That's not, that's not a, a mystery to me. Those two things are, are correlated. Look, I know, I get it. In impersonal public worship service, you're staring in the back of someone's head for 60 minutes. It's not the whole end of the Christian life. I absolutely agree about that. We'll talk more about other habits as we go. But listen, and I also understand that that when you're in an environment like this, you're not going to remember every single sermon that you hear as fascinating and wonderful as they all have been, I'm sure. Listen, guess what? I get it, but I don't remember what I had for dinner on Wednesday, December 
the third. I don't remember that meal, but I'm pretty sure that if I wasn't regularly taking in meals, I'd be dead. And that's something that's happening here in the gathering, is you're getting a zeal top off whether or not any piece of that is is sticking as a, as a piece of information that you're carrying with you. You are getting your zeal maintained. It's being topped off all the time. So just so you know, friends, what we're saying is you, Christian, are called to maintain your zeal and zeal leaks. All right, so then what are you supposed to be zealous about? And that's where we get to the vision of our church and of any Christian life. When you ask Jesus, it comes down. What, what are you supposed to be zealous about? Never be lacking zeal. What am I supposed to be zealous about? Well, Jesus was so unbelievably clear about this, and it would all come down to one word, love, and three grand objects of love. He would say that you need to be zealous about three things. You need to be zealous about love for God, and love for one another, and love for the world. These three loves are the backbone of the New Testament. They, they, are, they bleed through every pore, every letter, every line of the New Testament. So you go to the Lord Jesus and he was asked point blank what the most important commandment was. He says, Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then when facing his own impending execution to be offered up as the lamb for your sins and for mine, he says love again. But this time with a different object. John chapter 13, verse 34. I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as i have loved you you must love one another and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and then later still when commissioning his disciples after his resurrection he said matthew 28 verse 19 therefore go and make disciples of all the nations that's the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. You know, you can't serve the world with a, with a mission that big unless you love that world, that broken world that God loves. So the three loves, there they are. They bleed through every piece of the New Testament and it's the zeal of these three purposes that must mark your life. In fact, for zeal of these three grand loves, with the zeal in place, the early church turned the Roman Empire upside down. They never raised a weapon, and within 300 years was simply love for God and love for one another and love for the world. That group of Jesus-following zealots turned the world upside down. Therefore, AC3, I believe that if we excel in these three loves, we will be an unstoppable force in our community. I believe if everyone here is trained in the habits that feed these loves, we will become a church that receives the commendation of the master at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. If we excel in these three loves, we will change the world with our one and only lives because we, would, we weren't alone. We didn't isolate, but we did it with the power of God inside and together, and we changed the world. And we already have changed the world. 22 years ago, we were, we were 15 people in a living room. And just last year, we, 15 was the number of the people that we sent to Malawi, Africa. And you don't get farther to the ends of the earth than Malawi. I mean, it's amazing what God has done through people zealously devoted to love. Now, how do we maintain this love? And I want to give an extended illustration in this, uh, from marriage that all of you who are married in this room can relate to. 
No one who is married in this room knows, uh, wouldn't be able to tell you at least something about the importance of maintaining zeal for love. How do you do that? Do you, married person, do you have the same zeal for your spouse as you had when you first met them? There is a right answer to this question. Um, but, but let's, uh, but let's, uh, but let's uh, be honest, because most of you, the answer will be no. So, uh, so can you remember what it was like? Just go back in your mind, whether you've been married a year or 25 years or 30 years, okay? What was it like when you first met them? Like when they walked in the room, do you remember? Wasn't it sort of like the same emotion and reaction that you had when like the waiter brings in your platter of food in the restaurant? <laughs> Something like that, right? Something like that. And now, now where is that today? It's, it, it's not the same, is it? That zeal is not there. You can't maintain that for 24 hours a day and forever, right? So entropy sets in. Now, how do you then, married person, fend off love entropy in your marriage? Well, you can't force yourself to feel. That is very, very difficult to do. That's next to impossible. So what do you do? No, here's what you do. You do the practices that feed the zeal that you originally had for your spouse. You do those things. You engage in habits that build the passion. So things like date nights. You just schedule them. You get them on the books and you, and you budget for them. Like time spent together, like blocks of time. Like arranging for and saying yes to regular sexual intimacy. Like, like you do a chore that they would normally do and without them asking, you just do it for them. Like giving some special little gift. Like giving them a massage. Like telling them in words how much you appreciate, admire, admire and adore them using words this way. Friends, as I'm, as I'm outlining some of these things, some of you are in not a great situation and you might be saying, I don't feel like doing that. Right? Like, what, what, I, don't, I don't feel like it. Or you might say, well, that's a lot of time. You know? There's a lot of money you're talking about committing to that kind of, those kind of practices and habits. That's like a, whoa, you got to think about that. You got to like actually put it on the schedule. And yeah, right. You say, well, I'm not feeling it tough this is what you have to do it's what you this is what you must do in order to feed love in order to maintain your zeal you have to engage in these habits these practices okay so if you can understand that about marriage then just bring that into your love life with god the same thing is true of the three loves christian you are not going to wake up every morning in 2018 and feel like loving god you will not you are not going to wake up every morning in 2018 and feel like loving the church Look at us. We're a little unlovable at times, although you're beautiful. But, uh, but you're not going to wake up every morning in 2018 and feel like loving the lost and broken and nasty world that you and I live in. You're not. You're just not going to feel that every morning. But what are you going to do? You are going to maintain your spiritual zeal by doing what? By engaging in the habits that fuel love. That's what you're going to do. So what are they? Well, now we turn to Paul's letters. In the first half, if you notice this, some of you are young and growing Bible scholars, and it's awesome. You should be reading the New Testament regularly, and now you've probably noticed a pattern if you've been reading the letters of Paul. They all follow the same pattern, don't they? You've noticed that the first half of Paul's letters are all about belief. They're doctrine. They're theology heavy. Here's what God has done. 
Here's why it matters. Ethereal and big ideas and concepts. Okay? Then the last half of the letter is all about behavior. Belief and behavior. Practicum. Commandments. This is how you're supposed to be with one another. right? And so, friends, you have to remember that order, belief and behavior, when it comes to engaging in the habits that fuel your love life with God. Why? Because if you get this backwards, it's toxic. So all month long, and in an emphasis for all of 2018 at AC3, we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about the habits that build full devotion. And if you don't get this right, all this discussion of habits is going to be toxic to your spiritual life because it's going to, it's going to enhance a way of works to you and it's going to put behavior in front of belief instead of the other way around as it is in all the letters of Paul. I want you to just kind of illustrate this as I kind of, you watch the side screens, you can kind of see it play out. If you begin with talking about the habits in a way, in a mentality of works, then, then it starts to become about earning spiritual achievement. That's what you're doing by doing the habits. Look at me, I'm, I'm, I'm achieving things and that leads to a sense of significance with others. Look at me, I engage in spiritual practices and I'm now a somebody, right? And that gives you a sense of sustaining strength. You get your sense of worth and strength out of the idea of who I am before everybody else. And then that maybe might lead me to feel like I could be acceptable to God. Maybe God will love me if I do all these things. And friends, that is the way of works. It is toxic. It is dead. It is a way of earning. It is a way of comparing. It is a way of pride and guilt and never enough. Okay, and you just have to reject that, the way of works. But if you flip it around, it's exactly right. If you flip it around, it's exactly right because the way of grace begins in the exact opposite side of this. It begins in acceptance. It begins in the, in the mental and spiritual place that says, I am a forgiven child of God and I have been warmly welcomed despite who I am and what I've done. I have been drawn in by the furious love of God apart from anything I did. And guess what? That acceptance, that unconditional acceptance leads to a sustaining strength from the Holy Spirit inside. And then that leads to you knowing your true significance. Here's who I am. I am a forgiven, empowered, adopted child of God whom the Holy Spirit has indwelt in order to show forth the glory and grace of God. And that leads to achievement of lasting spiritual fruit and good works in this dark world. And that's just right. So belief, then behavior, okay? We're going to set that as the context for this entire month. We get this right or we get the discipleship challenge wrong. And the letter of Romans fits the pattern. This belief, then behavior pattern, okay? And so let's go there. For 11 chapters in Romans, Paul's been talking about expounding on what? The Christian doctrine of unmerited grace. Then in chapter 12, if you're familiar with this epic letter, in chapter 12 we turn and it begins with the word Therefore, and we won't go into the first few verses, but basically the idea is, therefore, because we believe in grace, because mercy has been extended, what behaviors will follow? And then chapter 12 delineates in bulleted fashion the habits that follow these beliefs, the works that follow the grace. Now, I plucked that zeal verse right out of this section, this intensely practical section in Romans chapter 12. Remember, never be lacking in zeal. Okay, I pulled it right out of here. Now, I want you to see the context, so let's go back there. Romans chapter 12, this time we'll back up, we'll go to verse 9. And now I want you to look at this with a view to what are the habits 
that fuel the loves about which we must be zealous. Okay? What are the habits that fuel love? Okay? And here's what Paul will say. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, now I want a little Greek lesson in here because we missed something in translation. There's actually a very simple parallel uh, structure that Paul is using here, which is beautiful, it's sing-songy, it's punchy, and it's poetic, and completely lost in translation. In order for readability and understandability, we've just lost the, the structure that he uses here. So the pattern goes like this, if you could read it in the original. It goes, in this do this, in this do this, in this do this. Okay, so I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to read it as if you'd read it in the original Greek, in the word order, exactly as you'd read it as one of the, uh, those in Paul's audience. In zeal, never slack. In spirit, fervent, serving the Lord. In hope, rejoicing. In trials, patient. In prayer, constant. To the needs of saints, sharing. To hospitality, be inclined. And then he comes out of the pattern for the next verse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and never curse. Now what is the point of this short, punchy, sing-songy way of putting the habits of the Christian life? The point is he clearly thinks they'll memorize it. In this do this, in this do this, in this do this. It's like a little catechism for the new believers. This is, the, this is your spiritual life. This is how you are to live. And they're punchy little habits that you would memorize so that they would do it. So they become the habits that do what? That sustain love. And by the way, if you go into the little section that are at just one little section of practicum, New Testament practicum, and you see the three loves bleeding all over the place in that passage. Let's go back to it, shall we? Go. Uh, First, the thing right out of the gate. uh, Chapter 12, verse 9. Love. Love must be sincere, literally without hypocrisy. In other words, what is real love? And now the following will be the breakdown of that. Here's what your life is about as a follower. It's about love. Now here's what it looks like. Number one, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. What's that love? Love for the church. Outdo one another in showing honor. Love for the church. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Love for God. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Love for God. Share with God's people who are in need. Love for the church. Practice hospitality. Love for the church. Bless those who persecute you. Love for the world. Obviously, people who are persecuting usually are not other Christians. They're outsiders. And then again, bless and do not curse. Love for the world. They're everywhere, all over this. So following Paul at AC, here's what we've done. We've taken these three loves and and distilled them into core habits or qualities that sustain the loves, that build them. In fact, we've looked all over Scripture and we've identified two habits that build and sustain each one of these loves. So that means six in total. Three loves, two habits for each. And we've given them all a name that starts with the letter G. Some of you know this. And so we've done it. Why have we done it? Like that alliteration for the same reason that Paul puts his little things in in a sing-song way so you'll remember it so that you'll do it so that these will be habits that are baked into your Christian life 
easy to remember so that you'll do them because friends, full devotion is doable. And, and you need to hear that at the beginning of 2018. Full devotion is doable. Some of you thought that spiritual maturity is just a completely um, undoable thing. It's like off there in the ether, something that only, you know, like Pastor Dan could achieve with his wonderful monkish beard. And that's it. You know, only, only, you know, only the special super elite, you know. No, you, you can be a fully devoted, you'll never be perfect. You can be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You will never be spiritually perfect. You can be more like Jesus. You can look more like him. You can be pursuing these loves if you engage in these habits. So in 2018, we're totally revamping our applications discipleship course for this very purpose, to tool you up, to, to provide the tools for every person in the 6G habits that sustain the three loves of full devotion in Christ. And so we've got the introductory video for this done. It's gonna be part of video curriculum, part in a chair where it will be in class work. We'll use, we'll use our extended format to do a lot of that. And we are going to offer that so that in this applications class we will have the tools to engage in the kind of habits that build the loves now what are those g's well this intro video explains what they are let's watch <laughs> so that's what it's going to be for the next month and we are going to unpack all that i think it's going to be a lot of fun very practical and for now i just want you to engage your imagination as we wrap this up i want you to just imagine that we lived in a community that was relentlessly relentlessly committed to loving god that was irrevocably committed to one another and passionately committed to uh, reaching a lost world. You know, just imagine what that would be like. Okay? Just engage your imagination. Because if we can't see it, if we can't picture it, then maybe we can't believe that that could be us. I want you to just imagine a, 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 an entire community of people growing in their character because they've been so transfixed by the character of Jesus. It's just everybody is, is, is experiencing character transformation. In fact, I want you to imagine a community where people's values and relationships are being reordered in completely countercultural ways because they are so uh, committed to living a different kind of way, a narrow way, the third way. I want you to imagine a, a group of people where it's regular, like it's just habitual that people are dropping old habits, old addictions, greed and pornography and gossip and pride and lying and racism and hatred. I want you just to imagine that that's happening. That an entire community is sort of growing in a winsome kind of grace where marriages are being reconciled and relationships are being healed because of the peacemaking banner of the cross which has knit them all together in a kind of in a kind of supernatural love. I want you to imagine that disciples are going into God's word on a regular basis and mining out of it all of God's principles, not just for their faith, but also for their lives and excelling in marriage, in career, in parenting because they understand God's good way more and more and they're being more successful in life because they brought their life under the author of life. I want you to imagine bowed heads, like all over the church, that just, it's an instinct and in a in response in, in a, an entire community to seek God in every single thing. And imagine these bowed heads, and they gather in little groups. You could almost call them these little groups around the city, like cells. And those cells are places of authentic relationship where people know and are known, where they love and are loved, and their authenticity 
is happening and affection is happening and accountability is happening and hearts are being laid out on the table and there's a joy and laughter and there's also tears as old wounds are healed into the communal grace of the Lord Jesus that's only found when we do life not alone but together. I want you to imagine a church that is burning white hot for a mission where they actually can talk about their faith with other people. Like they know it well enough that they could actually communicate it with, with others and, and are passionate about outsiders. That in fact, outsiders are a passionate driving force inside that community such that they arrange their weekend services in such a way that it would be understandable and, uh, and, and healing for people who maybe haven't been to church in a long time or maybe ever. Imagine a community where uh, neighbors take notice of what's going on there. We're the same, we have the same mortgages and families and children, but we're completely different in value, in hope, and in joy, and in peace. I want you to just imagine it, friends. That's a, that, that kind of community would be so contagious that people couldn't not, couldn't not help but want to be a part of it, that, that would, would be wanting to be part of what's being shared in that community. Imagine every month, every week, people are actually signing up to say, be a part, because you couldn't keep people away. Allen Creek, that could be us. So, so what it takes is for you right now to recognize, because you already know. You already know which one of those loves is where your zeal is flagging. You already know, don't you? I know you know. If you've been thoughtful about this at all, you know. So now it comes down to this. Will you commit in this moment to say, I will not grow cold. I will not lose zeal. I will do whatever it takes to stay spiritually hot serving the Lord. Will you make that commitment with me? If you will, then maybe you bow your head and you'd pray along with me, O oh Lord, in view of your mercy, in view of your mercy, we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices for the sake of the Lord Jesus who sought us and bought us. Amen. All right, we've just begun. So next week, we're gonna really dive into this and talk about the first love and what it means to really love God. So join us. Will you invite a friend? We'd love to have him. And now in two minutes extended, where Dan is gonna talk about the new applications uh, course and talk about the, the, the trajectory we're having and the tools we wanna give every one of you for full devotion. So we'll do that in two minutes. See you then.